Okay, now we're going to get to the message. We're talking about overflow once again, and uh, we're talking about the fact that God wants to overflow us with health and healing. So we've talked on a number of overflow topics already. We talked about love, overflowing with love and peace, joy, uh, the prosperity, uh, the needs fulfilled to overflowing, because that's the kind of God he is. But today specifically, I want to look at God overflowing us with health and healing. Our first verse is Matthew 8 and verse 16. It says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So, of course, this is talking about Jesus, and it says he healed all who were sick. Now, when we read scripture and we read about healing, we realize very quickly that Jesus didn't just heal really good people, and he didn't just heal certain people or certain sickness. It said he healed all. Anyone who came to him believing, he healed them. Okay, so we can learn about healing and the overflow from Scripture and what we see. Now, I want to encourage you today, God wants us to live in health. So maybe you're here today and you're healthy, but you're thinking, I've never had a miracle. Well, if you're continuing in health, you're already walking in what God wants. You don't have to get really sick and then get healed. He can keep you in health. That is the greatest miracle, it really is. Walk in health, live in health continually. But you know what? Sometimes sickness comes, maybe we open a door to it, maybe the old enemy tricks us, whatever. There are times when people get sick. And when that happens, God has provided healing for his people. He wants us to overflow with health and healing. Why does God want to do that? Well, for starters, he's a really good God. They sang that song this morning, God is so good. God, you're so good. Well, a good God wants good things for his people. He's called our Heavenly Father, and he wants us healthy. Now, I've heard many things over the years in ministry of how people look at sickness. I've heard some people say, well, you know, maybe God's, you know, making you sick to teach you a lesson. Did you know that's not in Scripture anywhere? And a good father doesn't make his kids sick to teach them a lesson. Did any parents here, you made your kids really sick because you thought it would teach them a lesson? I hope not, because someone will call social services on you. That's a bad parenting skill, okay? For real, our Heavenly Father would never do that. He loves you, and He wants His kids to walk in health. And if He needs to teach you a lesson, He doesn't have to make you sick to teach it to you, okay? He can teach it to you in many different ways. That's not how He does it. Now, can good come from things that are bad? For sure. Can you learn something while you're sick? Of course you can. But his plan is for us to walk in health and to be healed. Listen to Psalm 91 and verse 9. It says, If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. 
Okay, no sickness is supposed to come near our home. That's the kind of God we serve. He so loves us and wants us in such health that he is willing to send his angels to protect you. Think about that for a minute. How many times have angels protected us and we didn't know? I sometimes just love thinking about that. Maybe you're driving and you have no clue what the enemy tried to do because angels are protecting you. You know, you're at work and something terrible could have happened and you have no idea and you don't care because God's protecting you. Okay, so think of that and remember continually he's looking out for you and yes, he's looking out for your health. Now, in the Old Testament, there's an interesting story that gives us a picture of how good God is and what he wants for his people. And it's the story of the Israelites and when they were coming out of Egypt. The Israelites were God's people. And uh, we're going to read a little bit in Exodus 12, uh, verse 5 in just a minute, but I'll just let you get us to that point. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. All of them had become slaves. And they were really being treated poorly to the point where the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, was even saying, there's too many of you, and we're going to kill off the firstborn babies. The male babies were going to throw in the river. He was attacking God's people and even killing their babies. But God saw and heard their cries, and he said, I'm going to set you free, and he sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh. Moses came to Pharaoh a number of times, and Pharaoh refused. You see, Pharaoh had a real pride problem, and he actually figured he was God. He figured, I have more power than this God of the Israelites, but he was wrong. And there were many different things that happened. There was frogs, there was locusts, there was hail, there was darkness. And finally, the last thing that came as he refused one more time was that the angel of death would pass over the land and the firstborn of every home was going to die. However, God said to the Israelites, it's not going to be that way with you. And here's why. He said, I want you to go get a lamb, and this is what I want you to do. And we're going to read in chapter 12, verse 5. He said, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. There they are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the top of the door frame of the house where they eat the animal. The same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before the morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, carry your walking stick in your hand, eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Now, there was a lot of instructions there, but these instructions were for a reason. And you see, they would take that blood of the lamb and they would put it on the doorposts, and when that angel of death passed over, it would not go into any home where the blood of the lamb was. 
And this was a symbol of what Christ would do many, many years later. But God was showing his people, I'm going to protect you and I want you healthy. Because you see, they didn't just put blood on the doorpost. They were told to eat the lamb. And they were told to eat the lamb, expecting to go on a journey right away. You see, there was action they had to take. They had to believe that God was speaking to Moses, and they had to believe that they were supposed to do this with the lamb. Think about it for a minute. Maybe you're like, this sounds pretty crazy to me. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here at home and see what happens. If they had done that, the firstborn in their house would have died. But they didn't. They listened. And here's the interesting thing. The scripture tells us that that night, Pharaoh called Moses and said, take those people and get out of here. You see, his firstborn son had passed away. The Egyptians didn't take a lamb and they didn't eat a lamb. But every one of the Israelites were sent on their way, and Scripture records it this way. In Psalm 105, 37, it says, God is talking about, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among His tribes. The word feeble means stumbling, cast down, or weak. Hold on a minute here. The angel of death passed over, but they also went out strong and healthy. Approximately two million people, and not one of them was sick. What? Now, I could count everybody here, and somebody might have a cold or feel a little bad. But don't worry, we're going to pray for healing today so you're going to feel good when we get out. But two million, they just go, and they're all healthy. Not one of them weak. They were mistreated, abused slaves. But God sent them out healthy. Why? Because by faith, they ate that lamb. And they went expecting something good is around the corner. And God honored their step of faith, and he showed the kind of God he was. In one night, a nation of poor, abused, overworked slaves became a nation that was free. They were loaded with silver and gold and not one sick person among them. Did you know that they were extremely poor, but when God sent them out, they went out wealthy. The Egyptians gave them everything they had, the gold, the silver. Go, go. The God you serve can turn things around in one night, if you'll believe him. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how sick you are. I don't care how big the bills are. You can turn it around in a night if you'll listen to what he's saying and if you'll trust him because he's good. But you know what? That's not all. We read another verse in Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. Even more than that, he blessed his people and it says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. Wow, 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out, and neither did their shoes. The clothes didn't wear out, and the shoes didn't wear out. But here's the amazing thing. God blessed them so abundantly that even their clothes and shoes didn't wear out. And it all began 
that night with a lamb and a God who said, I love you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make sure you're healthy. You see, in Scripture, we actually can see that sickness is the work of Satan, not God. John 10 verse 10 says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And here's another verse in Acts 10, 38. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He healed all who were oppressed by who? The devil. He didn't go around healing all the people that God had made sick, did he? That's ridiculous. He went around healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Many, many times we see that sickness is actually an oppression of the devil. Sickness was not God's plan from the beginning. He didn't make a creation full of sick people. He made a creation that was good, that was very good. Sin came along and sickness entered in. And yes, sickness because of sin now goes through the land, but God can allow us because of the price that was paid to walk in health. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. I want to... uh, Read a story here. Yeah, I'm going to read it now. This is a little book. I've read stories out of here before. And you might recognize this story. It's one of my favorite stories about healing. And I want to read it to you because it's definitely a story about overflow of God's healing, miraculous power. And this story was many years ago now. And... A preacher named Shambach had been asked, what is the greatest miracle you've ever seen? And so he tells the story in this book about one of the greatest miracles he'd ever seen while he was doing ministry. And he was ministering with a team, and it was actually another uh, pastor speaking. But let me read it to you. So they were doing big tent meetings. They had a massive tent that held about 3,000 people. And They would go out, they'd preach God's word, they'd see people saved and see people healed. But at this meeting, he says, a woman brought her child to the meeting who had 26 major diseases. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, the boy was born blind, deaf, and mute. Both arms were crippled and deformed. His elbows protruded into his tummy. His knees touched his elbows. Both legs were crippled and deformed, and he had club feet. He had no toes. When he was born, his doctor said the boy would never live to see his first birthday, but they were wrong. He was approaching four years of age. Of course, his condition was breaking his mama's heart. She came to our meeting all week, and I got concerned about that boy in those crusades. We had each person with a need fill out a prayer card, and as the Holy Spirit moved, we would pray for the needs God inspired us to pray for. And the Holy Spirit didn't seem to be moving us to pray for that little boy. The following Sunday, the mom came, mother came to me and said, Brother Shambuck, I'm down to my last $20. I paid the hotel bill, but we've been eating in the restaurant, coming to three services a day, giving in the offering, and the money's ran out. And my baby has not been prayed for. 
And she was upset because she was ready to go home. Schambach tells her, we're going to pray for him. He said, if it doesn't happen in the service, I'll take you and your boy to the uh, trailer where the uh, man of God, the preacher's staying, and we'll pray for your baby then. But just come to service, let's see. And so she brought him again to that evening service. And they did the music. Schambach, who was a part of the team, got up, and he called for the main speaker. The main speaker, A. Allen, came up and began his message. And then, all of a sudden, he stopped and said, God's taking me somewhere, showing me. And Schambach, in those days, the pastors would sit on the platform behind. And he said, he said, here we go again on another trip. This is how God used A.E. Allen. He said he could see what the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate, like he was watching it on a television screen. He would describe it as he saw it, and that night he said, I'm being carried away to a huge white building. Oh, it's a hospital. Of course, I'd heard this kind of thing every night that I worked with Brother Allen, so I was sitting there unmoved. Then he said, I'm inside the hospital, and there's no doubt in my mind where I'm heading. Because I hear all these babies crying. It's a maternity ward. I see five doctors around a table. A little baby has been born. The baby was born with 12, no 16, no 26 diseases. When he said that, I started getting chill bumps up and down my spine. I said, oh my God, tonight's that baby's night. Brother Allen continued, 26 diseases. The doctor said he'd never lived to see his first birthday uh, but that's not so. The boy is approaching four. Now I see the mother packing a suitcase. They're going on a trip, and another lady's with her. The baby is in a bassinet. It's in the backseat of an old Ford, and they're driving down the highway. I see the Alabama-Tennessee border. That automobile is driving in the parking lot. Lady, you're here tonight. Bring me that baby. God's going to give you 26 miracles. The woman came running for the second time. She put her baby in Brother Allen's arms. I jumped up to stand beside him, and everybody in the audience, 3,000 strong, was standing. Brother Allen must have wanted to be sure the audience was agreeing in faith because he said, everybody close your eyes. But I thought, not me. I'm going to be scriptural on this one. I'm going to watch and pray. I've been waiting for this all week. That little boy's tongue had been hanging out of his mouth all week, and the first thing I saw as Brother Allen prayed was the tongue snapped back into the mouth like a rubber band. And for the first time in four years, his tongue was in his mouth. I saw two little whirlpools in, eye, in his eyes, just milky color. You couldn't tell whether he had blue or brown or what color eyes. But during the prayer, the whirlpool ceased, and I saw two brand new brown eyes. I knew God had opened his eyes, and if God opened the eyes... I knew he'd unstopped the deaf ears. Then those little arms began to snap like pieces of wood. And for the first time, they stretched out. The legs cracked like wood popping. And all of a sudden, I saw God form toes on those club feet as easily as a child forms something with silly putty. The crowd was watching by this time going wild. I've never seen people shout and rejoice so much in all my life. I saw that baby placed on his feet and he began to run for the first time in his life. He had never seen his mama before, never said a word, but he began running across the platform, and I was running right after him, trying to catch him. He leaped into his mama's arms, and I heard him say his very first word, Mama. 
So you see, God is a God that overflows with healing, and there's nothing impossible for him to do. Nothing. And oh my, wouldn't that mother have been blessed abundantly? What mother wants to see their child sick? Just like our Heavenly Father, he wants to see his kids well. God brings healing, and he just asks us to believe. You see, Jesus paid the price so you and I can walk in health. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says it like this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He paid the price for our healing already. I want to read a scripture to you that you've heard me read often if you're part of our church. Once a month, we do something called communion. That's where we take the bread and the juice, and we'll break the bread, we eat it, we take some juice. And I always read to you from 1 Corinthians. But I want to read it again. I want to go a little further because I want you to see something important about this. Verse 24, I'm going to start out. It's talking about when Jesus took the bread. And it says, when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And often I stop there during the communion part, but let me continue for a minute. I want you to see something. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And he says, let a man examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and unhealthy among you, and many die. Okay, let me explain that just a little bit to you. So here he's talking about communion, then he goes into this uh, talk with them saying, many of you are sick because you're not discerning the Lord's body. What does he mean by that? He's telling them you're not understanding why his body was broken. To not discern is to not understand. You don't understand why Jesus' body was broken. You're taking the bread and drinking the cup, but you don't understand the sacrifice he made. Because you're not discerning it, you're not walking in it or receiving it. But let Scripture talk about it a little more. You see... We read in Luke chapter 22, and I'm just going to tell the story today, but in Luke 22, we read the account of the Last Supper, where Jesus first took the bread and the wine and said, here, this is my body. That Last Supper was a Passover supper. It was the time of year where they were celebrating what happened 
way back with the Israelites in Egypt. So the one I told you about where they had their sandals on and their staff in their hand ready to go, blood on the doorposts, this was what they were celebrating. Every year on that day, they would have this Passover meal again so that they didn't forget. They didn't forget about God's provision. It was at that meal where Jesus takes the bread and starts telling those who are around the table, this is my body which will be broken for you. Every one of them sitting around that table knew what he was saying. He is telling us he is now taking the place of the lamb. He is now going to be the sacrifice for our health. And his blood would be shed for salvation, for forgiveness of our sin. And they knew what he meant. It's no accident that John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus coming, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul knew what he was saying when in 1 Corinthians he said, Christ is our Passover sacrifice. I want you to never forget this. Christ Jesus paid the price for your sins to be forgiven and for your body to be healed. And what we read in 1 Corinthians, they were not discerning or understanding his broken body maybe only his shed blood. Church, you and I must understand the price has already been paid, so it is ours if we believe it. Well, what sacrifice did he make? He was arrested and falsely accused. They spit in his face and yelled accusations at him. Others hit him with their hands and said, prophesy who hit you. Pilate had him scourged with a whip. A crown of thorns was put on his head and soldiers beat him with a reed and beat the crown of thorns into his head. He carried a cross on his bloody back and he was nailed to that cross and hung there naked in our place. And after he'd hung there for a long time, he cried out, It is finished. What's finished? What's finished? The sacrifice that he was making was finished. The price had been paid. His body broken, his blood shed. It is finished. The price for your healing, the price for your forgiveness, already paid. How big of a sacrifice was it? It was big. Isaiah 52, 14, pro prophesying about what Jesus would go through, says, Many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was a man. His body mutilated and beaten. Isaiah 50, verse 6 it says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, and I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Hold on here a minute. 
If it was only blood that had to be shed, then what in the world was all this suffering for? What was all that beating for? Friend, that was for your healing. If you're a believer and you choose to walk in sickness, you're ignoring his body. Was all that sacrifice a waste of time on us? I hope not. Because he did it for you. He did it for you, you, you. He did it for me. He wants us to overflow with health and healing for ourselves and for those around us. Matthew 10 and verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. How many diseases and illness could they heal? Two, three, every kind. There's no sickness that he didn't pay the price for. Mark 16 and verse 15 is the great commission where Christ, after he is risen from the grave, comes to his followers and he gives them the command before he rises up into the clouds. In verse 15, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Who can place their hands on the sick and see them healed? Whoever believes. Let me ask that again. Who's able to place their hands on the sick and see them healed? Whoever believes. Okay, so I'm going to ask it again, and if you believe, the answer should be me. Not me, you, but say me. Who can lay their hands on the sick and see them healed? Yes, if you believe. Well, guess what? That means you also can be healed because for you to overflow and heal others, you yourself also need to walk in healing. Now, you and I play a part in God overflowing us with healing. The price has already been paid, but it's up to us to receive it. Or like the picture of communion, it's up to us to eat it and drink it. We could talk about it all day, but isn't it interesting in that very act of communion, it requires action from us, doesn't it? We actually have to receive it. That's symbolic of the real thing. The real thing that he paid, we must take it, receive it, and walk in it. And we receive healing just like you receive forgiveness by faith. You believe it, and you walk in it. Mark chapter 9 and verse 21, we read a story where Jesus has a father bring to him a boy who is possessed. I'll just read it to you in verse 21. Jesus says to the father, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him in the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. 
The question is not if he can. The question is, do you believe? He already paid the price for it over 2,000 years ago. He already said it's finished. It's not if he can, it's if you believe. Now this father goes on to say, Lord, I believe. And then he says, oh, help my unbelief. He knew he didn't totally believe. Help my unbelief. And Christ does. Christ quickly sets the young man free, commands the spirit to leave, and the boy is set free. Jesus makes it clear that us believing is extremely important to what he's already paid for. It works in each of these messages that I'm telling you about overflow. Overflow is available. It's paid for, but you and I are required to believe and to walk in it. Mark eleven twenty three says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown in the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Now when we talk about believing and receiving overflow of healing from the Lord, to believe, I want to make it simple because we can say I believe, but sometimes those are only words. But to truly believe, we take it in our heart, then we begin to speak it, and finally we take a step into it. And that step into it can look different in different situations. But there is always an action step. First we believe it, then we speak it, then we take a step into it. If we believe the opposite of what God's saying, do you know what happens? Well, in our heart we believe it, then we start talking it, and then we take a step the wrong way. So in simple things, everyday life, you know it in here first, you start talking about it, then you take a step. It's the same with what God does.